0: song they're already singing holy 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 are you Lord just bow down before your throne see your face i cry out because you're those who have heard
1: While I'm going over some prayer requests and announcements, we're going to be on page 638 in the Church Bibles today in our reading. I'm going to make sure I got that right. Put these on. Yeah, 638, being Psalm 34, which is an awesome psalm. Real quick, um, Amanda Haynes has been in the hospital in Fort Worth uh, with a high-risk pregnancy with her health issues and all that. So far, so good. Bless the Lord. She's doing fine. Baby's fine. Same thing for Brooke, our daughter-in-law, Ryan's wife. They're in Houston until that baby gets here. And uh, we're just praying, Lord, that his time's perfect and it would be later than sooner. And uh, he's blessing them in that. And uh, everybody's doing fine there. Uh, My mom is still having in and out stuff for the hospital. She's been in there the last few days. I just pray for God's will for her. She's just... Apparently growing weary of this world, and uh, we'll just pray that uh, God will be who he is and all that. Uh, We know his will's perfect. And a reminder, on this Friday night for our Shabbat services, we're going to begin to go through the Marriage on a Rock series uh, that we're going to start up this Friday, and it'll be for several weeks for that. All right, let's read our scripture this morning. We're going to be in verses 4 through 10 of Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bless you for the privilege we have today to come and to give you worship and praise. Lord, the psalm that we read out of today is just a reminder of how, Lord, praising you does draw us in closer to you. And I pray, God, that we can always hold on to that and in times when, uh, Lord, we get, seem like we're going through difficult times, Lord, that we would just begin to praise you and fall at your feet. And we know that that closeness uh, returns, that you're always there. Uh, Lord, just uh, we bless you for that. You're Lord of lords and kings of kings. And, uh, Lord, I thank you for the way you continue to work in these uh, young ladies that are um, about to bring new creations into the world, these perfect little babies. I pray, God, you continue to be with Amanda and Brooke and their babies, and Lord, we just pray once again that all these specialists, all these doctors can show up and not have to lift a hand. Lord, that you would show these families that you can deliver, and that you are a faithful God. Lord, we bless you. We uh, thank you for what you're doing in those families, and I pray, God, you would show your strength and your your provision uh, to them in this situation. Father, we uh, I just lift up my mom. I pray, God, that you And your perfect will would prevail over anything, any doctors that we could do, that any any of us could do, Lord, uh, here on earth, that your mighty will would give her peace, would give her rest, Lord, and uh, that you would heal her. Either way, Lord, that you choose to heal her, uh, to go back to where she lives or to come home to be with you, Lord Jesus. We bless you for what your perfect will is for her. We thank you for, again, for time together with uh, our congregation today. Pray, Lord, your spirit would be welcome here today, Lord, that we would feel your presence and that you would change our hearts today as we sing and we praise and we hear your word proclaimed. We bless you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. You are Lord of all. In your name we pray. Amen.
2: just wanted to remind you a little bit about the lulavs. Every year we come to this time to celebrate a Feast of Tabernacles, and part of celebrating Feast of Tabernacles is to wave the lulavs. And they put together the different uh, branches from the trees, and we'll read about that a little bit here in just a minute. And then they bring the citron, and uh, it joins with the the uh, branches, and the branches from three different kinds of trees represent different people, but all coming together as one. It's a picture of unity because they're all together, and so if you look around our room today, we have all different kinds of people, and and we're all uh, special in God's eyes, but we can come together and be unified together, praising him. And the citron represents the fruit that comes from what he does through God's people. That it comes off of a tree, but only because God allows it to do so and provides in that way. So normally it's best to hold them together. The fruit comes from what God has done through God's people. And the three branches represent all of us united together. And they would come, and they would wave in every direction. So sometimes when we're waving, we're not sure what to do for God, are we? And so, But I think he loves that we're trying. And um, I always laugh about it. I say God created his own pom-poms. And so I love this place where God allows us to come and join in celebrating his, his uh, greatness. But they would turn to every direction and wave the lulahs. Lulavs, knowing that God reigns throughout, in every direction, throughout the entire earth. So as you come and celebrate this morning, I thought maybe it would help to just be reminded of why we wave the Lulavs, and I pray that God is glorified as we come and celebrate him today. Thank you.
0: can whisper and darkness trembles only a holy God what other the beauty demands such praises what other the splendor outshines the Sun what of the majesty rules with justice could rescue me from my failure who else would offer his only son who else invites me to call said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And he brought me and he returned me to the river. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down into the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves
1: wherever the river goes shall live.
0: Amen.
2: Morning! What a great day to praise the Lord, and and I love the songs that we had this morning, and <clears throat> the message that God has for us today. And pardon, my voice is a little bit shaky, but not too bad. Um, all the wind that's blown into Abilene has blown a lot of mountain cedar around, and so it tends to give me a little bit of problem every time it does that. But um, praise the Lord. It works this morning, so we're thankful for that. So let's read in Leviticus 23 on page 140. Today we're going to be studying about the eighth day. And it's actually the last day of Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. And um, so when you look at the feast, there's actually seven feasts that God talks about in Leviticus plus the weekly Sabbaths plus the eighth day. So there's seven feasts plus the weekly Sabbaths and and plus the eighth day. So page 140 in Leviticus 23. Thankful for a little water today. Okay, starting in verse 33, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, you shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the lord it is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it so this is one of my favorite things that god does he says that you shall have a seventh days uh, of offering and then on the eighth day so he is helping us to understand that there are seven days to tabernacles but then there is an eighth day. In verse thirty seven it says these are the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation to an offer to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offering, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbath, of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you will give to the Lord, also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruits of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest." So as you see in verse 39, as they gathered in the fruits of the land, all of the feasts are around their harvest times. And so as we'll see today, this is a time of thanksgiving. The the sukkahs were built, and they would live in the wilderness during tabernacle. um, I'm sorry. They would live in the sukkahs outside of their homes during the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering that they lived in booths in the wilderness and that God provided for them. So we've talked about this every year, that they were very simple uh, dwelling places that they would put up and they would go out and dwell in those. For seven days, they would live in these, remembering that God had provided. And they are a picture to us to help us remember that as we live in temporary dwelling places today, this is not our home, that God provides for us in these times and our temporary um, lives here on this earth. Verse 40 says, and you shall take for yourself on the first day the fruits of the beautiful trees, the branches of palm trees, and the boughs of the leafy trees, and the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before your Lord, your, your God, for seven days. And so as we were talking earlier, the, we come with these lulavs that have these different branches together, and they do help us to remember the branches are always a picture of people throughout the Bible. And so their pe- people are different in um, in many different ways. But God loves us all. And he brings us together and unites us in him, if we are willing. And then he brings the fruit, and it's going to talk about that Um <clears throat> Oh, I'm sorry, it did talk about the fruit. The fruit is the citron that it brings from the from the trees, and it unites us together. Verse 41 says, And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations, and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in Booths, that your generation may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in Booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So today we've studied in the past, uh, last week, about the Feast of Tabernacles. So today we're going to study about this eighth day and help us to understand a little bit about what makes that day... um, so important and why the, there's such a great place that Christians should come and celebrate this eighth day. It is a, an understanding that has been lost, I think, through the years, and it is exciting for us to understand the fullness of the eighth day. So this eighth day in um, Hebrew understanding would be called Shemini Etzaret, and Shemini means eighth. And atzeret means in-gathering or assembly. So it's the eighth day of assembly. It's the eighth day of in-gathering. And that'll be so important as we come along. But the one fun thing that I think we can learn some things from, sometimes from the traditions of how it was celebrated can even... Give us understanding because I, I think it was so awesome how God uh, used Jesus to define some of the traditions like the bride and the wedding that the Jewish people um, participate in has many pictures of Jesus as he returns for his bride. In the same way, we see some pictures in the way they celebrated Simony. At Saret. And um, one particular way was on the last day of the seven-day feast of Sukkot, they would pack up. They would take their sukkahs and all that they'd brought, their foods, and they would take them down, and they would begin to pack everything up. So they would be completely packed up on the seventh day of Feast of Tabernacles. But on the eighth day, it was considered a day of complete celebration and rejoicing. It was a day that they saw that it meant there is still more. I love that understanding. That place where God would help us to see that in this place of understanding Feast of Tabernacles, that that is the millennial reign of Jesus that Jesus would come and reign for a thousand years. And the seven days is a picture of that completion of his time when he will dwell with his people. In fact, to understand that a little better from Jewish understanding, I and I believe um, that this is probably where I would fall into alignment with believing, but... Most Jewish people would tell you that the earth was created and will last for 6,000 years. It's not been quite 6,000 years yet, but that it will last for 6,000 years. And then the last year, I'm sorry, the last 1,000 years will make it 7,000, which is the tabernacles that you see that is uh, pictured in Sukkot. And that last thousand years is when Jesus will reign. The Messiah would reign. So the Jewish people knew that their Messiah will come back and be king of kings one day. But they're not sure when that would be and and they don't understand because Jesus has already come but we know that Jesus will come back and he will reign for a 1,000 years. So when you have the 6,000 years of mankind, now, you know, we won't get off and drug off into this too far, but you know I believe that in the very beginning of Genesis, Genesis verse 1 and verse 2, it tells us the, about the earth was created But then it was void, and it was empty, and it was in darkness. I believe there was a time before man was created and before all that was created on this earth and reestablished on this earth as God did in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. I don't know how many years. So oftentimes people say, well, you cannot be, there cannot be a God who created this earth in 6,000 years because they have fossils and things that prove that to be wrong. And so a lot of times Christians just get really nervous about that. I don't think this is a place for us to get nervous. It's a place for us to understand that God created the heavens and the earth and then the enemy was here on the earth for a period of time. It doesn't tell us how long, and it doesn't tell us how the world was before the enemy came. So before verse 1 and verse 2, I don't know how many years there was. There was a lot. And between verse 2 and verse 3 and the rest of Genesis, I don't know, but there was a lot of years. But mankind was created, and I believe... There will be 6,000 years of mankind and then the 1,000-year reign of Jesus. And this gives us this picture in Sukkot. So at the end of Jesus' 1,000-year reign, I believe we're going to see today this understanding of tarrying, of waiting, of rejoicing and celebrating that there is still more. So this is one of the pictures in this understanding of, of the eighth day. But I want to look at a little other understanding of the eighth day. Turn with me to John. It's on page 1231. John 7. <clears throat> John 7, verse 37, on page 1231. Let's actually start on the page before that. Let's start at uh, chapter 7, verse 1. That'll help us have a little introduction. Verse 1 says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me very much. I'm sorry. Verse 3 says, his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world for even his brothers did not believe. So his, his brothers are coming against him there. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is already here. What does he mean by that? Um, He is talking right here about that this time is when he will come back and reign. His time has not yet come, that he will come back and reign over tabernacles. So he says, my time's not yet. There's a lot going to happen. I will come back. The day will come, and I will reign over feast of tabernacles. But it's not now. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that it works that its works are evil. <clears throat> you go up to the feast. I am not yet going to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret." <clears throat> So Jesus does go on up and celebrate in the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, so that's what's come going on, is that it's um, Feast of Tabernacles. He's gone into Feast of Tabernacles. And now I want to pick up in verse 37. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast. Now, the last day of Sukkot is not the last day as the seventh day, but rather it's the great day in verse 37 that it's talking about the eighth day. That was the great day. So it is the last day in terms of they would all leave. It was the end of Sukkot because the eighth day actually completes the understanding of Sukkot, and we'll see that today. But um, but it's not the end of Sukkot on the seventh day. It's the last day, the great day of the feast. And Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. <clears throat> but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom these whom those believing in him would receive for the holy spirit was not yet given because jesus was not yet was not yet glorified so jesus comes on the last day of the feast and as you see in verse 37 it says he stood he stood He stood in a place where people could see him. And it says he cried out. So he wasn't just talking to a few people. I wish I could just see this place where Jesus stands up and there's just, I mean, it's Feast of Tabernacles. And there are just people everywhere in the temple area. And Jesus is amidst all these people, just a multitude of people and so he wants people to hear and what he does is he cries out he he speaks so loud but in this word of crying i hear his heart he is just wanting the the vast people to a number of people to hear he said is anyone thirst if anyone thirst and i believe that's our message today if anyone thirst Let him come to Jesus and drink. Let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I want to take you back to a scripture that God gave me several years ago. It's... um, It's Ezekiel, it's page 1015, Ezekiel 47. While you're turning there, <clears throat> I want to share with you what was going on at the and on the eighth day and the and the seven days preceding uh, preceding the eighth day. If you'll remember, they had what was called the water libation, and they would come and um, on every day of the of the seven days of Tabernacles and on the eighth day, and they would come and bring this pitcher of water and they would they would divide up at the priesthood there would be about a third of the priests that would come singing praises and waving their lulas. so about a third of the priests would all be gathered up and they would be waving The lulavs and all the people are gathered with them, and they're waving the lulavs, and they're singing and saying the hiel. They would sing the psalms, and so they would sing the hiel, which is where we um, get the word hallelujah, because it means praise God. And they would be praising God and walking down to the pool of Siloam every day and then there would be about a third of the priests that would be coming along, and this one priest would bring a pitcher, a silver pitcher, and they were coming along in the same fashion with them, and the silver pitcher was uh, to dip down in the pool of Siloam and would bring the... Uh, I'm sorry, the silver pitcher was not the the one in the Siloam. The silver pitcher actually had wine in it. I'm so sorry. And the silver picture is a picture of redemption. And it had the wine in it. And as they were coming along and singing, and the wine is being brought, the picture of redemption, the blood, then the last third of the priests are coming and they're bringing the gold picture, which is kings. It represents royalty. And I see that place so clearly as Jesus will be king of kings and lord of lords at Sukkot. At Feast of Tabernacles It's when he will be reigning from Jerusalem. And as they all come down, then the priest with the silver pitcher would have the wine right there and the uh, hails being sung, praise God, and they all part ways. And the priest with the gold pitcher goes down and dips water out of the pool of Siloam, and he and they all begin to make their way back. Now, the pool of Siloam, I have a um, interesting understanding about that. The word Siloam actually means gentle flowing river, gentle flowing river. So the pool of Siloam was not a pool as we think about an enclosed pool. It was a pooling part of a flowing, gently flowing river. I think that's going to be important as we come along and understand these places. So as the priests are coming along and they now with the gold pitcher they take the the water and they all start back towards the temple and as they come to the altar they're singing the praises to god the hael and the first pitcher of the silver pitcher of the wine is poured over the altar and the the blood is represented in the wine. So the altar is covered now with the wine, a picture of redemption that sacrifice would have to be made and that the blood would cover the altar. Then the second pi- uh, picture in this place is the priesthood that has the gold pitcher would come up and pour the water over the altar. At the time they were doing this, I don't think they fully understood what was going on. But I think they were caused because God moves things. He causes things to be. I think God caused these things to be. Put your marker here. We'll come back to this. I want you to look at a scripture um, in in John. No, in um, Matthew. Let me see. Nope, John. John 19. And it's on page 1249. Page 1249. <clears throat> page 1249, John 19, verse 34. And this is when Jesus was on the cross, and he has um, has, uh, been on the cross. Let's start at verse 33 or 32. When the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who were crucified with him, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out blood and water came out and i saw this several years ago and loved how god helped me to understand this was a picture that was being done in sukkot in feast of tabernacles for thousands of, years, or for hundreds of years. And um, it represents the blood that poured out. And as you see, the bo- the blood was first. The wine was poured, the, bl- the wine was poured first on the altar. The blood had to be there. The redemption has to be first. Do you see that? And so out of his body, when the, he was pierced, first the Redemption flows out. You see that? Then the water is next. The spirit, the living water, the spirit then is poured out to God's people, those who are redeemed. So I love this picture as we see it in Sukkot, as they were coming along with the water ceremony. And it's so funny because it's always referred to as the water ceremony, but I see that the water is only a part of the ceremony. The place of praising God has to be there first. The place of redemption has to be there before the water. And then the water is poured out. And But as he told us in John that all who believe, out of them will flow rivers of living water. Now, let's read in Ezekiel, this place, in verse uh, chapter 47, verse 1, on page 1015. Where you had your markers. Then he brought me back to the door. And if you remember, this is a place um, Ezekiel is seeing and the Lord is opening his understanding. Uh, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east from the front of the temple faced east for the front of the temple faced east the water flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar, altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters came up to my ankle. Then again he measured 1,000 And brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again he measured 1,000. And brought me through the water. uh, Through. And the water came up to my waist. Again he measured 1,000. And it was a river. That I could not cross. For the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. He said to me. Son of man. Have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed." And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. (coughs) Excuse me. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. So the Lord began to help me to see that this uh, vision that was given to Ezekiel was a picture to help us understand this millennial reign and this place of preparing ourselves and rehearsing for this millennial reign of Jesus. So the Spirit was given at Pentecost But Sukkot has this understanding where Jesus stands up. I just want you to look at that again. So I don't want this to get confusing, but I want us to see. So it's John 7 on page 1231. So hold your place, and Ezekiel will come back. But you see this on page 1237. When Jesus stands up, Oh, no, not 1237. That's not right, is it? 1231, yeah. Chapter 7. 1231, chapter 7, verse 37. And he stands up. This is at Sukkot, at Tabernacles. And he says, "Uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the spirit was given at Pentecost in a place that we might see that those of us even now, before Sukkot is here, might walk in this place of the river flowing out of us. The, the picture in this place is being a part of Jesus, who is the river, does that make sense? Helps us to understand over here in this place of Ezekiel. So in Ezekiel, it starts off and it says that he was led out into the river, and it, and it was measures, and it says it's a thousand cubics out, a thousand. The millennial reign. Every time it's drawing us into this understanding that there is a purpose in us coming deeper into the water. And that so that when the millennial reign is here, when Jesus reigns on this earth, you will have purpose in his kingdom. Even more greater than your purpose is today. But you're rehearsing and you're drawing into the deep waters that when the millennial kingdom is here, his purpose will flow like living waters out of us. So, the pictures that the Lord showed me many years ago, he says, Deb, this is your walk. And I see that, I've seen it for years that in the beginning he brought me into the river. Jesus is the river. But I was only up to my ankles. But I was committed some to being in the river, but only in my ankles. And then it and then it says that in the next, in verse 4, that it goes on in and it comes up to his waist. And I saw that's exactly how my walk was, that I now was more committed. But what I saw along this path was that I was still in charge of my life. When I was in ankle deep, I had a lot of authority to move around the river as I wanted to, to do whatever it was I I wanted to do and claim walking with Jesus all the time. I do think I was a child of God. I think the picture of it, I was in the river, but I wasn't truly, truly in a place where living waters were flowing out of me. but I was in ankle deep. Now when I'm in waist deep, it's a little harder for my flesh to rule. It's a little harder for me to manipulate my body around the the river, but I could still do it. Have you ever been in a river that's a gentle flowing river? You see? You can walk around if you're only waist deep. You can go where you want to go. And do what you want to do. But then verse 5 says, And he measured 1,000 more, or he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross. Now he's in very deep. For the water was too deep, the water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. So as he goes in deeper and deeper and deeper, now you're in the river and only you could only swim. You no longer can really move about how you want to in the river. The river is moving you. It is deep enough that it is a mighty river that cannot be crossed. You see right there it says that a river that could not be crossed. I believe is what he's saying is, you can swim in this, but the river is going to move you. You can't cross it. When you really get to the place where you are fully immersed in Jesus, then the river will begin to move you. You can't cross it by yourself. You can't move around freely as you want to go. But rather the water is going to move you and you're going to be swimming in the river, but the water is going to make you go in the direction it wants you to go. Have you ever been on um, down in um, New Bronzeville and they have a river down there and you can get in there and ride the, the tubes and... and um, people have a lot of fun, but if you want to go one direction, um, no, you're not. The river is going to move you along. You're not going to decide to go the other direction that the river is going. You're going to go where the water moves you. And I think this picture is a picture that we can take home and understand that that is the purpose in understanding how the Spirit is going to flow out of us, is that we have to be a part of the river. And we're rehearsing for this eighth day. So I want to turn to um, Revelation 21. It's on page 1424. As I began to think about this river this morning and, and talking to the Lord and seeing how the Lord said, you have to remember the feast times, the times you're living in, they're rehearsals for what is to come. And so I believe the, wa- the place of the water and understanding this place of God calling us to draw deeper and deeper into this place with him is to bring us into this understanding of rehearsing for what is to come. So the eighth day, and uh, the eighth, as you know, and we've studied before, means new beginning, a new beginning. And so the thousand-year reign will have ended, and now you can tarry with Jesus, a little longer. There is something more, and it begins in verse 1 of Revelation 21. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there's no more sea. By the way, people talk about that all the time, that there's not going to be any water in the new heaven. I mean, I'm sorry, the new earth. I don't think that's what it's talking about at all. The sea was a picture of where the demonic lives. So he is simply saying there will be no more demonic places. Uh, Verse 2 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, <coughs> Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. Now what I want you to hear, and I, I, I know we've taught on this before, but I pray you remember it. So in the thousand-year reign, who's going to be reigning from Jerusalem? Jesus. And he will dwell with his people for a thousand years, right? But in the new Jerusalem, in the new earth, God, do you see that? God, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will all dwell with their people. That's the new beginning. So let's read that again. Let's see. Start in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. I believe that is the fullness of the Trinity. Jesus will be there, but it will be no longer separated from the Father, but the fullness of the Spirit and the fullness of the Father and the fullness of the Lamb, the fullness of Jesus. Verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the by the way, right here when it says he who sat on the throne, that that is Jesus. When it says he who sat on the throne, he, he is the one who sat on the throne in Jerusalem. And behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Jesus is tying this back to the place that he was speaking at the Feast of Tabernacles on the eighth day. That's why I believe with all my heart that eighth day that he was talking has to coincide with the eighth day and the new Jerusalem coming down. It all comes together as the understanding is they knew there was more to come on the eighth day and they tarried a little longer and they had a great celebration let me see, I, I, I won't read all of this, but I hope today, I hope today, I hope that you'll go home this week and read the rest of chapter 21, and then let's look at chapter 22, verse 1, and it says, and he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding 12, its fruits of every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy Prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which shortly take place. And Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then if you'll skip down to verse 20, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I believe the eighth day is a powerful, powerful understanding that there's more than, than we can imagine or hope for and that God in his fullness will dwell with his people for eternity. So I pray today that you will see the message of eternity and the fullness of God's hope for us but I pray that you will see the message of Ezekiel that's calling us to come and to be a part of the river that God might move us through the river for his purpose. Stand with me and praise the Lord with, for this understanding. Thank you.
0: Come For crying again and praying.